Would you take your copy of Scripture, please? Turn to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the 19th chapter. We're in the midst of this study on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And we're calling it words to live by. And we've shared three statements that he has made. Statements that Christ made on the cross in the three previous messages. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then last week, we talked about, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this morning, we come to one that last week I talked about and shared with you in all transparency how much I had struggled and battled in my own spirit trying to ascertain the meaning of what Jesus was saying. Well, this week has been no different. This statement at face value seems to be just a very simple statement. And yet I'm afraid sometimes in its simplicity, sometimes I miss the heavy impact of of what Jesus is saying here in this statement. And so I want you to look with me in Scripture today, in John chapter 19, verse 28 and 29. I invite you this morning, in fact, I beg you to be an engaged listener today. Notice what he says in John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's quoting here Psalm 69 verse 21 that says, In my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. That the scripture might be fulfilled, verse 28. He, Jesus, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar And put it on hyssop. Hyssop was a type of reed or a stalk of a plant. And they put the sponge, they filled a sponge with vinegar and put the sponge upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. It's near the end of the six hours. And Jesus, previously, hours before, had refused a drink that they usually used to stupefy a man's senses, to dull a crucified man's senses. Jesus refused that drink. He did. He didn't take it. He didn't accept it. He didn't want anything to dull his senses, humanly speaking, as he went through the suffering that he endured. He wanted us to know that he, in every sense of the term, suffered fully the full wrath of God and paid infinitely for our infinite sin debt. And so the first time when they offered him this vinegar drink, it's a different drink than what they are about to offer him. That one was used as an anesthetic to lessen his pain. They would often give it to crucified men, to condemned men, in order to 
not let it get out of hand, and even though the Romans wanted it to be somewhat of a spectacle. They realized that they had at least some shred of dignity about them. So this is a separate time. This is now near the end. He's coming down closer to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he makes this statement, I thirst. By now he's experiencing full-blown dehydration. What one writer called a burning thirst caused no doubt by his fevered condition that his body was in as it nears the end of the dying process. So why did Jesus utter this statement? We can stand up here and talk about why and various reasons are given by different individuals. We know that there was a prophetic reason. He gave this, as plainly stated in Scripture here, to fulfill prophecy. Psalm sixty-nine, twenty-one. But also I say there's a personal reason that Jesus gave. He wanted to reveal the reality of his anguish and his suffering that extended even to his senses as a human. And then one writer said there's a practical reason to get ready and enable himself, not relying on his supernatural power, but he wanted to get ready to clearly make his next statement and declaration which was perhaps the most important. We'll talk about that later. And that statement was the words, it is finished. And all that that meant. But his mouth was so dry. His throat was so parched. His energy was waning. That could have been a reason why. That he needed something. He needed something. He knew in his infinite wisdom... And even though he, he had limited his own supernatural ability, he knew that humanly speaking, he would need something to moisten his lips and his tongue and his mouth. And I think all of these are true, no doubt. But I want you to think with me this morning now as we observe for, for the message's sake and for our sake here this morning in this auditorium, three different angles to this statement. I want you to think with me under the... Help of the Holy Spirit this morning. First of all, notice with me that Jesus restricted his infinite ability. He restricted his infinite ability. Many times, people who are dying, if they're still conscious, they will utter the words, I am thirsty. Perhaps you have been in the room or watched a loved one or family member or friend pass away from this world. Maybe at your own home or at a hospice type setting or in the hospital bed. And you've been in the room as they have neared the end of their life and they come down to the last hours and certainly the last several minutes. There's a, if they're still conscious, there's a sense of thirst that they experience, I'm told. Their mouth is dry. Their body is literally fighting against itself. And oftentimes in that setting, and you've done this, if you've been in that situation, you've watched others do it, you've heard about folks, hospice nurses and family members will crowd around and they'll, they may not even be able to give them enough water to put in a straw. But they'll at least take a 
stick with a sponge on the end of it, and they'll moisten it. Or they may put some ice chips on their lips or in their mouth, on their tongue, just to give them some sort of relief. This is not unlike what happened at the cross with Jesus. As somebody ran and took that sponge dipped in what's called a wine vinegar, and they fixed it on a stick and lifted it up to Jesus. Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. He was fully divine, but he was fully human. And in his humanity, listen carefully, he thirsted just as dying people do. He went through all the stages of death physically that every other human has done. He did that for a number of reasons. But suffice it to say this morning that Jesus Christ clearly died. He suffered. He suffered human physical death. We realize that that's part of sin and the consequences of sin and the curse of sin. But I want you to hear me this morning. Let that sink in just a moment. That the God of all creation, the God who is life itself, He died. He succumbed to the effects of the curse of man and the fall of sin. He died. The Lord of glory died. The baby that was born 33 years earlier in Bethlehem died. In his body, he took the full effects of sin and the curse. He went through that dehumanizing process. I've heard folks say, folks who have watched loved ones, I've seen uh, talk to physicians and nurses and, and who describe that death process, and all of us are left with the same thing, the same conclusion that death is a very humiliating thing. That dying process, that death process, does so many things to you physically and mentally and emotionally. And it truly is, as Paul said, it truly is the last enemy. And it is an enemy. You read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as Paul talks about this corruptible body. And one day, thank God, because of Christ's resurrection, one day we're all going to experience, if we're saved, that incorruptible body. But right now we're dealing with corruption. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Things that happen to us physically in the dying process. And Jesus was no exception. And he went through that willingly. He restricted his own infinite ability. It's near the end of his life. He senses it. He feels his own breathing becoming more labored. He feels that strain on his chest like he has a thousand pound weight on his chest cavity and he's, he's suffocating. He's dehydrated. He's hung on the cross for almost six hours now and it's become more increasingly difficult even to take a breath. Hanging from his arms, he pulls himself up each time he wants to be able to breathe. 
joint-rending cramps have gone throughout his body, his shoulders, his legs, his arm muscles. Every, every fiber of his being has been literally in torture. Excruciating pain. The word excruciating comes from a Latin term, excruciatus, which literally means out of the cross. I'm not sure anybody's ever died a more excruciating, more painful death than Jesus. And as he is hanging there, his shoulders ache, his mouth is parched, he's exhausted, he's suffering from dehydration. At any given second of his choosing, he who made every drop of water in this universe could have supernaturally satisfied his own thirst right then. Has that ever dawned on you? He who in John 4 and John 7 made the declaration that he had the water of life, he was the source of living water. And now he says, I thirst. The God that created every single drop of water. They say there's 71% water on this globe. That our human bodies even are set, made up of almost 70% water. Water is all over the place. It's even in the ground. It's in the atmosphere itself. It's in the plants. It's even in human and animals. There are 326 Million trillion, that's how you say that, gallons of water in the world. (laughs) You say, how many gallons is that, preacher? Well, that's 326 with 18 zeros coming after it. That's a lot of water. And yet the God of all creation limited his own supernatural infinite ability to satisfy himself. Why did he do that? He didn't have to snap his fingers. He didn't have to holler out anything. All he had to do was will it to be done. And it would have been done. He didn't even have to command those Roman soldiers to do anything. He has all of heaven and all of creation at his disposal. He could have just instantly thought it and it would have happened and occurred. And every angel in glory, and I believe this with all my heart, that every heavenly angelic host stood ready to do whatever he needed done. And yet he never uttered that call. He just simply said, I thirst. He could have satisfied that in a supernatural way, but he didn't. I see a lesson here for you and I. A lesson for you and I, who all of us at some time in life, we long for something that we can't attain, something we can't achieve, or something we can't have at that moment. We long for it. It's different things for different people. And in those moments, it could be a desire for food and you're legitimately hungry. And either you refuse it willingly or you just don't have it to eat. But your body cries out for food. 
Your human senses are saying, I'm hungry. And more than anything else, you want a bite of food. I'm not being silly. It could be when you're on a diet. And you've willingly rejected food and tried to discipline yourself. It could be when you're about to have a medical procedure and you know that you're not supposed to eat anything, but you, more than anything, you want a bite of food. And you're hungry. But you know you can't. Maybe it's a desire for something to drink. But you know that you don't need it. You know that especially that that you crave, you don't need to drink. But yet physiologically there's something that calls out and cries out inside of you to go ahead and take that drink. Whether it be alcohol and you know in your conscience the Holy Spirit is throwing a fit and telling you you don't need to do it. But your flesh and your body is calling out for it. And there's a battle going on. I want to so bad. But I know I shouldn't. Maybe it's a situation where you're legitimately thirsty. And it has nothing to do with alcohol. But, but for that moment, you can't have anything to drink. say, Christian, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus put himself in that situation? Why did Jesus let us in 2018 read these words that he put himself, even though he could have supernaturally satisfied that craving, why did he willingly, purposely restrict his own divine ability? He did that, ladies and gentlemen, so that this morning you and I would know that when we get in those moments and when we feel that same urge and that same desire He knows what we're going through. And he wanted you to know that he knows what you're going through. And I say this in love this morning. There's not one addict. There's not one addict in this world that has ever had a craving physiologically for any kind of substance. There's no addict that Jesus cannot identify with. Not because Jesus was an addict. Please hear me carefully. You understand what I'm saying. Not because Jesus was addicted to anything, but he willingly put aside his own deity when it came to satisfying his craving and a natural desire. He didn't cease to be God, but he didn't depend on his infinite ability to satisfy himself at that moment. So that you and I would know that when we're in those seasons, when we crave something we can't have or we know we shouldn't have, then he, he knows what we're going through. Hear me, please. I'm not trying to do any disrespect to the character of Jesus himself, certainly not the character of Scripture. But all of us struggle with different things. All of us at times have cravings for something that we can't have or shouldn't have or things that are forbidden or things that are out of our reach. 
Sometimes those things are not illegitimate things. Sometimes those things are not wrong or sinful things. They're just things that we cannot attain and cannot have in that moment. And I want to tell you today, Jesus knows what that's like. Every person in this room that battles a nicotine addiction. When you call out to God and say, Lord, physiologically, I crave that more than I can even describe. Jesus looks back and says, I know. Because I don't believe there's been anybody ever wanted or desired a drop of water like Jesus desired water while he was hanging on the cross those of you in this room that struggle with alcohol addiction and that temptation and you've prayed about it and you've gone to God about it And you said, Lord, I don't know if you even understand what I'm saying. I don't even know if I understand it, Lord. But, Lord, you know there's a craving in my body physiologically that craves that. It tastes good to me. God, help me. Help me. He knows. Every person in here that's ever struggled with food. Lord, you know, I crave, I hunger for this. Lord, you know, Lord, you know. He knows my susceptibilities and my temptations. You say, Christian, you ever pray about that? Yeah, I do. I've struggled with weight all my adult life. I've struggled with Bojangles for decades now. (laughs) Or Chick-fil-A. Or KFC, Brother Jimmy. I'm serious. And I pray regularly, Lord, help me not to be a slave to food. Help me not to bow down to the God of food. I struggle with it. I've I've never prayed that prayer without Jesus being able to say back to me, I know. I'm not just talking about physiological things. There are individuals in all different different stages of life in this room. There are some couples in this room that are struggling with infertility. Remember what I said a few minutes ago? There's a lesson here for people who long for something that they can't have. That's out of grasp and out of reach. There's couples who struggle in this church and every church with infertility. More than... There's nothing you wouldn't give to be able to have children and to hold a baby in your arms. 
But in the sovereignty of God and his providence, for whatever reason right now, he hadn't answered that prayer. And you've gone to God a thousand times. Lord, you don't know what you don't know what I'm experiencing. You don't know the frustration. You don't know how I feel. Yes, he does. You say, Christian, there's no way he can understand that, old friend. Take your Bible quickly, quickly, quickly. Go to Hebrews. Hold your finger in John. If you're still with me, say amen. Hebrews chapter 2. Go there quickly, please. The writer is describing Jesus as our high priest. Notice what he says. Verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14. For for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Or in other words, because we as humans are partakers in flesh and blood. He, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Go down to verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. What he's saying in verse 16 is Jesus, when he was born, when he was conceived of the Holy Ghost and was developing in Mary's womb, he did not take on the likeness of an angel. He took on the nature of a man. He took on human flesh and a human nature. He took on the seed of Abraham. That's humans. More specifically, the Jewish lineage. Verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, don't miss this, listen carefully. For in that he himself hath suffered... Being tempted, being tested, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The word succor is an old English word. It just means to help. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, Jesus became a man. He was made like a man. He was made a man. He was tested and tried and tempted in every single way possible so that today, in 2018, he could say to you, and you would believe it, I know exactly how you feel. So he can help us. When we have our questions... When we call out in the darkness of night, when we cry ourselves to sleep and our spouse doesn't even know how bad we're hurting. He's been there. He knows what it is. Turn to uh, uh, chapter 4. Look at what he says in verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities but was in all points, all points. Stop right there. What does that mean? That means in every single way. Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. 
He knows. You say, oh, Brother Christian, I know he knows. He's God. Duh. (laughs) It goes beyond that. (laughs) It's not just that he knows infinitely because of his deity, because he's God. He knows, watch this, experientially. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible comparison. So just go ahead and know that. Please don't analyze and pick apart my illustration. You can, but I know it's weak. All right, I'll go ahead and tell you. Who would you rather have as a physician? Somebody who's gone through medical school and they, they, they sit down and they may have passed with flying colors. I'm talking about flying colors. Let's talk about oncology in the field of oncology. A cancer physician. They're the best of the best of the best academically. And yet they've never had cancer themselves. They've never had a loved one to have cancer. But they know, they can tell you every jot and tittle when it comes to cancer and cancer treatments and cancer diagnosis. And they sit across from you and they say, okay, Mr. Powell, here's what you're dealing with and here's what we're going to do to help you. Would you rather have that one? Or would you rather have this one? The one who comes in and pulls up a chair sits beside you, takes you by the hand, and says, I got some bad news for you, but I've been there. You see, I've gone through it myself. And I'm not just going to be your doctor. (laughs) I'm going to be your friend. And I'm going to walk you through this. See, Jesus is not just saying, I know everything. I know how you feel. No, he's, he's getting in the chair. He's pulling up beside you, and he's saying, I've been there. And I don't know what you're struggling with this morning, but we're going to make it through. I know how to help you. I got you. I got this. There's folks in this room, there's single adults here that are struggling with desire for companionship. You just want, you're like everybody else. You want somebody that you can marry and just, and yet it seems like you've run into dead end after dead end. Some of you are struggling with the job situation and you feel like you can't find a job. Nothing that meets your needs or nothing that... And I could stand up here today and describe a thousand different scenarios and I may not even describe yours. I don't have to today because the Holy Spirit of God is saying to each one of you, regardless of the stage and the season of darkness and frustration you're in, I know, because I have been right where you are. 
And he did that for you. He did it for me. Oh, Christian, I thought you were going to be more theological today. I'm sorry you're disappointed. (laughs) But for those of you that aren't and that are listening to what I'm saying, I got a challenge for you. Why don't you run to him? Why don't you rest in him? Why don't you nestle up right next to him and say, Jesus, more than anything in this world, I need you right now. I need your help right now in my life. I got to have you. See, part of our problem this morning, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure we even understand just how bad we need Jesus. I'm talking about all of us. For everything. He cried out, I thirst, to reveal that he restricted his infinite ability. He cried out, I thirst, to reveal again his true identity. See, he wasn't just 100% God. He was 100% man. He was fully human and fully divine. And an infinite God didn't need water. But a human did. And he was both God and man at the same time. And then finally, he cried, I thirst. Because he revealed that he received some help from an unlikely source. And I love this. And you may think I'm crazy. Every Roman soldier carried some things with them. They carried this vinegar with them. This vinegar was different than what you and I have. It was called a wine vinegar. It was called Posca. It was a drink popular with soldiers of the Roman army. It was made by diluting sour wine vinegar with water. It was inexpensive. It was considered more thirst-quenching than water alone. It prevented scurvy, which was rampant in the Roman army. It killed harmful bacteria in the water and the vinegar taste made bad smelling water at least more palatable and all over the empire this posca was the soldier's drink of choice when they were out in the field the soldiers had brought obviously posca to sustain them during their crucifixion duty they weren't getting drunk on it you couldn't get drunk on posca they were just using it to quench their own thirst In fact, it was impossible to get drunk from it. While a condemned criminal might be able to drink something prior to crucifixion, drinking from a cup while hanging on the cross wasn't even practical. So they used a sponge to put the posca in and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. What was a sponge doing on Golgotha? (laughs) 
It seems hardly the thing you'd expect to find. But interestingly, sponges were part of the Roman soldier's kit. Sponges were found along the Mediterranean coastline and were widely used in ancient times to line and pad a soldier's helmet. Soldiers often used sponges as drinking vessels. When they had no cups or nothing else, they would pour the posca in the sponge and do what we've seen children do, and you may have even done it. They put the sponge to their mouth and drink it like that. One scholar who's prominent, he says that he felt like that this Roman soldier did this as one last effort to deride and ridicule Jesus. I don't believe that was true. Obviously, early on in the crucifixion scene, we know that was the case, but I don't believe this was the case now. Because remember what the soldiers had stood there and witnessed. A lot of things had happened in those six hours. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Today you'll be with me in paradise. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The three hours of thick darkness. And we know based on Matthew and Mark, we know there was at least one Roman centurion standing there that said, when it was all said and done, surely This was the Son of God. The Bible says in verse 29 that somebody, and it had to have been the soldiers who at least sanctioned it and allowed it, when they heard the words of Jesus, somebody responded to his cry for something to drink. I can't prove this, so I'm not going to die on this hill. But I personally believe that that Roman centurion, something moved in his spirit. Some sympathy for Jesus. And he knew he couldn't do a whole lot now. But he was going to do what he could. He was going to use what he had. (laughs) He was going to take the opportunity in front of him bless Jesus and to do something for him and I wonder this morning are you here today and you realize that your life is passing you by and it's time for you to do what you can for Jesus while you can